We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And now that the dynasty rankings are done, the update to the prospect rankings are done, I get to switch gears and start prepping for the 2022 MLB draft, which will be here in about six weeks. Uh, As most of you probably know, I focus on uh, pro players and the majors and the minors year round. Uh, Do not have the bandwidth to keep track of the amateur class year round, but that's why I bring in uh, esteemed experts on such things like this week's guest, Joe Doyle from Prospects Live. Uh, Joe, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. Uh, you guys are just doing uh, awesome stuff at Prospects Live. Uh, you guys have really kind of uh, separated yourself as one of the leaders when it comes to draft content, amateur content year round. I always tell people, like if they come asking about stuff related to the draft in like October or something, I just say, go to, go to prospects live. Those guys know what they're doing over there. Uh, I do not have the ability to keep track of all that stuff, but I, I think this class really has a chance to be an, a very exciting one for fantasy. Uh, I was reading your mock draft 3.0 that went up on the site a couple of days ago, and it seems like it's just all about the hitters this year. How does this hitting class, both on the prep side and in on the college side, stack up to some of the better hitter classes we've seen in recent years? Yeah, I think especially on, uh, especially at the top, you know, you talk about these high schoolers. Last year was a really good year for high school shortstops. And this year it's kind of spread out. It's more of a smattering of different positions. Uh, you look at the top, Drew Jones, Termar Johnson, Jackson Holiday, Elijah Green, it's a quartet of prep bats that can rival any class that we've seen over the last 20 years, uh, at least at the top. It does get a little bit thinner after that with uh, with high school bats, but those four certainly catch the headlines and for good reason. Uh, in terms of the college guys, though, I think this is one of the healthier classes. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily star studded, but I think there's a lot of guys in this class that are worthy of, of first round grades. And I think you're going to see some guys in this class that move rather quickly from the college ranks uh, and make their pro debuts probably in 2024. So, I mean, that's good, especially after, you know, you look at the 2021 college bats uh, that were drafted and it it was such an anemic class. It's certainly nice to get uh, a healthier, uh, you know, first round batch of uh, bats in this year's class. 
Yeah, I mean the the two things I'm always looking for, uh, just for for fantasy, is that that star power on the prep side, and then like you said, just kind of a quantity of college bats uh, that that you can load up on, knowing that those guys might be two three years away. Um, so I mean this this draft class does really seem to check a lot of those boxes for me. Uh, Drew Jones uh, was the guy that you um, had going number one to, to the Orioles on your latest mock. And it does sort of seem like I, I haven't dove in um, yet fully on, on prepping for this draft, but I mean, I can tell uh, just from, from some of the people I follow that it does seem like Drew Jones uh, is the, the favorite uh, to go one, one. He's atop a lot of, a lot of boards. Um, what do you, what do you think uh, his, like upside is like how does he compare to other prep hitters that have been in the conversation go one one over the years and has he separated himself in this class in your opinion yeah i think when you talk about drew jones he kind of checks every box i mean the hit ability is there the raw power is there the ability to run the ability to field and you know something else that not a lot of people you know focus on the projection you know it's a slender long body that uh you can add you know genuinely you could add 25 or 30 pounds and drew jones would still move really well uh so for for us he's a pretty clear one one and he he reminds me a little bit of what byron buxton was coming out of high school i think the present game power is greater than what uh byron buxton brought to the table when he was drafted but I think it's a similar body. I think it's a similar projection. He may not be quite as fast as Byron, but you're talking about a kid that is definitely going to stay in center field. He's going to play a plus center field, and he's got a shot. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but I mean he is. He's got a shot of being a, a 30-30 type of guy uh, if if the hit tool and the power really clicks as he develops. Yeah, no, I think you're you're dead on with talking about his frame right now, and he just. He moves so fluidly, and I just I love seeing that. Like to to see a baseball prospect who's his size with his you know fluid actions and the the ability to add that good weight, uh, and a guy that that has I mean the, the bloodlines obviously I mean uh, he you don't see guys like this come around very often in the draft. No. Um, it's really exciting. Uh, do you think? Because I I kind of get the sense that Baltimore. You know, I feel like they their preference might be to just have a slam dunk college hitter they could take here. Uh, but do you think that they still go Jones just due to the fact that you just don't get many opportunities to land a guy like this? Yeah, I mean, that's the tact that I'm taking. Uh, another thing that Baltimore has going for them is they've got multiple competitive balance picks. So, you know, uh, finagling and, and being creative with their money isn't as paramount this year. They're going to be able to do that regardless. And I mean, who's the last guy to go first overall to get the entire full slot? Like it just doesn't happen. I, I think you could still draft Drew, uh, Drew Jones and, and save yourself $250,000, $300,000 off the top. Uh, in terms of the college bats, I don't personally see a college bat in this class that warrants uh, that sort of haircut, that warrants you know getting creative. I think Drew Jones is a is an organizational anchor. He's a guy that you can build around. He's got a potential to be, you know, the number one overall prospect in baseball. And at some point, you know, I, I think you have to really avoid um, 
paralyzing yourself and overanalyzing when when he's clearly the best player in this class. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. Uh, and you know, you, you mentioned the the top four prep guys. Uh, part of why I don't think it's beneficial for me to try to stay up on the draft year round is because things always change. Like it, you know, from October of last year to the draft, things always change. There's always, you know, one or two guys that uh, in the fall would have been projected to be, you know, no doubt like top three guys, top five guys, whatever. And then it, it, things change as we get close to the draft. I, I think two years ago, Elijah green was sort of this phenom that even people that don't pay attention to high school baseball were aware of. And then say six, eight months ago or so, it was kind of Tamar Johnson. And then you had green, you had drew Jones. It was kind of a, a big three, but a lot of people were talking about Tamar Johnson as just um, the guy that, that was the one to have from this class. Uh, where have Elijah green and Tamar Johnson's paths kind of gone um, over the past year or so? Have they done anything to, to hurt themselves in terms of draft stock Has drew Jones just, been so good that he just passed those guys without them doing anything to hurt themselves can you kind of talk about the evolution of elijah green and tamar johnson as it as it relates to that top spot yeah i mean for us at prospects live i think we've had drew jones number one since october or november and and i think the reason being is you know you watch these guys compete at showcases and you watch them compete on the travel ball circuit and performance and production outweighs everything but as you approach the draft i mean you really have to take into consideration projection and development and i I think at the end of the day you look at drew jones and you look at the body and you look at what he's already capable of and you compare that to uh elijah green who is an 18 year old that is six foot four and 235 pounds um don't get me wrong elijah green is a is a he's an animal but he's also I, i mean it's kind of one of those questions like where do we go from here uh, and then the same thing can be said about Tamar Johnson. I, I've, I've felt strongly all along the way that even if you want to throw a 70 grade on on Tamar Johnson's hit tool, I personally think he expands the zone a little bit. So I wasn't going to throw an 80 grade on it. And, and I would I would caution anyone to throw an 80 grade hit tool on any high schooler because there's so much development in front of them. But at the end of the day, you boil it all down. And Tamar Johnson is uh, he's a five foot eight second baseman. Uh, that's already physically maxed out in terms of the body. So you you, you look at that and you just got to say, where do we go? You know, where do, how, how does he get stronger? How does he get more athletic? Um, not everyone is Julio Rodriguez, where all of the sudden you grow a hit, uh, you grow a, you grow a run tool. Um, so I think with Drew Jones, it just, it just came down to this kid has a lot of runway. He's got a lot of growing. He's got a lot of ability still in front of him. And the other two uh, are just a little bit, physically limited in terms of where they can go from here. They're both great players. They're both going to go. I mean, Elijah Green's probably a top five pick. Tamar Johnson's probably a top 10 or 12 pick. Um, And they're both going to do very, very well. But in terms of one, one, you kind of want someone that can continue to add. Yeah. I, I sort of, I kind of had like a hunch um, when you're just looking at those three bodies, like I, I felt like Drew Jones was, was maybe kind of the, the safest of the three but when people would talk about johnson as just like maybe the best high school hit tool they've they've scouted and then you you see elijah green 
get a hold of one and then you you also see him move and you know you don't see guys like that come around very often so um i i could see why there was at least in the fa- in fantasy circles some debate uh a while ago but um i think i think the points you bring up are great um with Elijah Green, uh, who you had going second uh, to to the Diamondbacks in your mock draft, um, you know the power, the raw power, is just you know it's it's obvious, right? Uh, how do you sort of see his like? Is this a guy who slows down so much over the next six seven years that he's kind of a you know guy that's just in the corner and and not moving around that well? Do you think he holds um, impressive athleticism into his, into his, uh, upper twenties. I think so. I think he's going to be a fine runner as he gets into his prime. I, I kind of liken Elijah green. I, I personally see his trajectory going the way of Tyler O'Neill, where hmm. the hit tool is just, it's going to take time, right? He might not be a big leaguer until he's 22, 23. It might take four years. Um, but when it all clicks, I think Elijah Green could be a guy that hits 240, 245 and runs into 35 to 40 home runs. And with that, I, I think there's a chance that he could be like a 40, 20 guy if everything goes how you'd like to see it go. I think he's got a shot at staying in center field. I think he's probably better suited for right field just because I think there's a guy that, you know, most teams have a guy that can move him off of the center field spot. Um, but still, I mean, if you had the chance to draft Tyler O'Neill right now, second overall, you're not making a mistake. No, no. Um, and I mean, his, yeah, like his body, uh, Green's body, it almost kind of reminds me of like a, a 1990s type of like juiced up type of body. But I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's, like an Eric Davis or something. Yeah. Like you just don't see many six, four, just super chiseled uh, power speed outfielders in the majors these days. Um, so really hope the the hit tool kind of just develops. I mean, I think a lot of people for fantasy would, would take a 50 grade hit tool from Elijah green. Um, oh God. Yeah. If, if I'll, I'll tell you this much too, if you were telling me today that Elijah green was going to have a 50 hit tool, he might go one, one. Like if you guarantee a, a 50 hit tool, he might be a better prospect than drew Jones. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, um, and then with Tamar, I, I sort of, you know, we, we talk about a, a five, nine, uh, second baseman, uh, prep, prep second baseman. Like, yeah. does that, does that kind of cancel out maybe half the teams picking in the top 12? Like, are, can you picture some teams just not coming close to taking a player like that this high? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's definitely teams that would, would cross it off, uh, just because of traditional scouting and, and some teams are a little bit more old school, but Tamar Johnson is an interesting one. Like on, on one hand you get people saying he's Joe Morgan, which I think is an incredible disservice <laughs> to, <laughs> to us a, a 17, 18 right. year old kid. And then on the other hand, you got scouts that see him in the field and, and you, you know, you hear Willie Calhoun and shed long. So hmm. like he's somewhere in the middle of that. And I don't know exactly where that is, but the bat to ball skills are undeniable. Like I, I'm not sure if his strike zone recognition is as mature and complete as people think, but he covers pitches outside of the zone so well that he's going to fight long at bats. So he's a tough one. Um, we struggle with where to put him. Uh, I think at the end of the day, if it's a 60 hit 60 power or, you know, a 70 hit 50 power, it's a, it's a slam dunk top 10 pick. 
So it kind of seems to be like it, like it, is he going to be a 5% walk guy or a 10% walk guy? Like, cause that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's fair. Cause if mm-hmm. he's just the 5% walk guy who just makes this awesome contact all the time, um, but isn't working deep at bats, uh, that just puts a ton of pressure on the the defense and the power. But if he can just be your, your super um, perfect leadoff guy or number two hitter, who's really working the count, uh, then he could just be a guy that's scoring hundred plus runs. And, um, you know, I think that that's something to follow, but we just don't have many prep second baseman to, to think back on over right. the past like decade. And like, Oh, this is how it worked out when this guy went in the top 10. Like it just doesn't really happen. Yeah, I mean, I think an even better question would be with with how far big league stuff has come and how good breaking balls are and, and how velocity is just it rains. The question for, for me for Tamar would be, is he an 18% strikeout guy or a 28% strikeout guy? Because expanding the zone at the big league level when you're facing 3000 RPM breaking balls, um, you know, you're not going to foul those off as much as he does right now. So that would be my one concern, his, his strike zone recognition. Um but either way, I, I think we've seen enough from Tamar Johnson to pretty comfortably say that he's going to be a big league hitter. It just depends on, you know, where's the variance. So you mentioned in in your uh, most recent mock draft article that uh, pedigree and, and bloodlines kind of uh, reign supreme in this class. And Jackson Holiday uh is a guy that now is is kind of consensus top three guy, uh, shortstop, uh, high school shortstop from from Texas, Matt Holiday's uh, son. Um, he's really kind of made a move up boards. It would seem over the past uh, six months or so. Can you kind of talk about what his senior season was like and what kind of tools we're talking about here? If he reminds you of anyone, yeah, he's a he's a bit of a tough comp. Um, I think the bigger story with with Jackson is his junior year and the showcase circuit last summer like he was swinging out of his shoes and and he was getting really wide and he was trying to hit the ball over the fence and he really shortened things up eased everything off a little bit just became more of a hitter than he was last year and I I think scouts really took notice Um, you know he trains with Nolan Arenado he trains with his dad Matt Holiday Uh, you're gonna it's gonna click at some point if you've got the talent Uh, in terms of who he reminds me of man it's a tough one. It's it's a lefty bat with some loft, uh, some present power. He kind of gives me Matt Carpenter vibes a little bit, but I think he's a better runner than Matt Carpenter ever was uh, in his younger years. Um, maybe like a left-handed hitting Paul DeYoung. Uh, I know those are both Cardinals guys, <laughs> just <laughs> out of happenstance, but those are kind of the two guys that that he reminds me most of. I think he's going to ultimately end up moving to third base by the time he's like 26, um, because he's so lower half heavy. Mm. But at the end of the day, like if I was projecting out the type of player that Jackson holiday would be, it's an above average hitter, maybe a plus hitter with plus power and, uh, playing at a premium position on the dirt. So yeah, I don't know if he necessarily has one like standout loud carrying tool, like all of the other preps do, but I think he's among the safer, uh, more complete high school hitters you can find. How do you think uh, just him as a draft prospect, where would he sort of slot among the top uh, four? Maybe we even in- include Colson Montgomery from last year. Like where would he slot among the top prep shortstops in, in last year's class? 
Yeah, so he definitely, for me personally, he wouldn't go above Lawler. I thought Lawler was the best shortstop in the class last year. Um, I, I think I would probably take him over Brady House, but I wasn't a huge Brady House fan. I would have to probably go with, if we're going off pure talent, just skill set and tools, I would probably take Khalil Watson above him. Um, but I'd certainly take Jackson Holiday over over Colson Montgomery. So, you know, and I might be missing one. But Mayor? I, I think uh, definitely not Mayor. So I would probably go uh, Lawler, Mayor, Holiday, House, or excuse me, Lawler, Meyer, Watson, Holiday, House, Colson. That's how I'd probably rank them. Okay. I think that that should be uh, pretty useful for the listeners, um, just kind of slotting him as as a draft prospect. Um, So a guy that uh, uh, our buddy Jeff Ponce was messaging me a couple nights ago uh was about to fall asleep and i'd start getting texts about cam collier <laughs> that's how uh, jeff works isn't it <laughs> he's like, about to fall asleep and yeah then... Je- i know you're up jeff you're wide awake <laughs> breaking down yeah. cam collier tape um the 17 year old right uh yeah. and uh believe he reclassified yeah or... and i mean yeah he reclassified he, he went into the juco ranks so 17 uh, 17 year old playing with college guys that are throwing 95 um, and he held his own. I mean, he hit 333, didn't strike out. Uh, now he's playing in the Cape. Um, I mean, if you want to, if you want to pick at Cam Collier a little bit, it is, I mean, he's not, he's probably a fringy runner. He, he's probably going to be a, like a corner power guy. He's not going to be an athletic, uh, type of guy, but I think one thing that's really come out over the last nine months is uh, his his physical conditioning has really improved. I mean, he was a pretty thick kid um, nine months ago. That was one of the conversations about him. And there were actually conversations about, is this guy going to have to move to first? He looks trimmed up. He looks stronger and leaner now. Um, it's a big arm at, at third base. I think he should stay there, no problem. But another kid, I mean, you're probably talking about a plus hit tool, um, above average power, third base, extremely young, Um the the one thing about reclassifies that always interests me is if you draft Cam Collier, you have to protect him from the Rule Five draft before he turns twenty three, which I think is just fascinating. Like, what a I don't want to call it a a problem or an issue, but that's not something that we typically see. Like having to protect a kid before he turns twenty three. So um, I think Cam Collier is pretty confidently stapled himself in the top twelve and. The, the debate right now is, is do you go Tamar Johnson or Cam Collier? Yeah, I was, yeah, that's uh I was just going to ask you about that. I mean, I've, I was back to your sort of 40 man thing. Like that's, that's recently been the case with like uh, Mark Vientos, uh, Helio Ramos uh, guys mm-hmm. that just got, you know, obviously had to get added probably before the teams necessarily wanted them to get added. And then sometimes that just results in the development track being artificially sped up. Um, you know, in the case of like Ramos, like I don't think we see him make his big league debut already this season if he weren't on the 40 man. Um, and you might see guys get pushed a little more aggressively. Um, so that is that's definitely something to keep in mind. And then at the same time, I mean, most models are going to really like those guys, right? Like they're going to want the 17 year old over the 19 year old if, if you're talking about the same tools uh, by quite a wide margin. So um, yeah. definitely some, I mean, you, take. you make the argument, you make the argument that a kid, uh, especially a hitter, 
is going to get better every single year in that five-year controllability period. Whereas, you know, you draft a college guy and they're probably pretty peaked uh, in their second year by the time they're 23. So if you were calling the shots, let's say you're GM of the Marlins, GM of the Cubs, uh, and uh, it's it's down to Collier versus Johnson, and you know you're you're just going best prospect available. Uh, forget about position. Where are you going out of Collier versus Johnson? If I'm running a big league organization, and this has nothing to do with fantasy, I want to make that yes, point. Yes. Um, I would probably go Collier just because. I like Collier's swing a bit more. Uh, I, I do have some questions about Tamar Johnson's swing and how handsy it is and how many triggers there are and how that's going to work against 95 plus. Um, that being said, he's, you know, shut up evaluators and analysts every step of the way. But I would probably go Collier just because it seems easier. It seems more natural. He's younger. He's got a a locked in position at third base, big arm. I'd probably go Collier. Yeah, I mean, when we're, when we're just kind of talking about each player, I and just thinking about the way that big league front offices tend to operate, I I I'm kind of buying what you're selling in in your most recent mock draft where you have Collier going six and Johnson going seven, because I do think um, you know the the models. I think a lot of them are going to prefer Collier. Uh, I just think the the prep second baseman at that size is probably a tough sell in a lot of in a lot of rooms um so that that's going to be fascinating i mean uh, do you see uh yeah i i think that's just gonna be fascinating to see how that plays out um the next uh prep hitter i wanted to talk about just sort of staying on uh really toolsy uh bloodlines guys is uh justin crawford uh son of carl crawford um where does he sort of fit? Like how many tiers are there among these sort of prep guys that, that you have pegged as going in the top 20 or so? Like, is he in that same tier of, of Collier Johnson? Is he a tier below those guys? I think he's probably just a tick below those guys and where he fits. I mean, I could see, I mean, you, you saw the mock, uh, we have him going 11 to the Mets. Um, I think there's something to be said about bloodlines and Billy Epler loves an athlete. So, um, that's I listen, I think when you talk about Justin Crawford, there are skeptics about the swing. There are skeptics about how long it is and how wonky it is and um, whether or not it's going to work at the pro level. But his dad's swing was like that, too. It's very slappy, but there's raw power in there. Um, if we're talking, I, I mean, I know that this is a big part of your show. Uh, if we're talking fantasy, though, like Justin Crawford is one of the premier potential fantasy guys in this class he could be a guy could be a guy that hits 20 homers and steals 40 bases i mean it's a really special talent it's just you know is he gonna hit is the swing gonna work and i think that's kind of where everyone has got to pause who's uh putting you on the spot here a little whose hit yeah. tool do you have more faith in long term out of elijah green and crawford who uh wow I would probably go with Justin Crawford. And the reason I say that is kind of intangibles. Uh, Crawford's quicker out of the box. I mean, he's a left-handed hitter. He's a little bit slappier than Elijah Green is. 
And the thing about Elijah is he's kind of shown specific pitches that he struggled with. Breaking balls buried, heaters up in the zone. Crawford is just uh, finding barrels. It has been his, you know, struggle, I guess, if you even want to say that. Okay. Okay. That's, that's helpful. Uh, Just quickly on like the bloodlines thing and this draft, like I kind of, and I've been noticing this sort of, you know, anecdotally, like I have friends who have, uh, sons who are playing uh, baseball and like so I know just sort of how many you know monetary hurdles there are to have your son playing competitive middle school and high school baseball like do you think this is is kind of a trend that we could maybe see become more of a thing where more and more of these guys have um, a parent or an uncle or someone who played just because of like the monetary stuff that goes into playing travel ball even at a young age is kind of a, a barrier for a lot of these kids but if you grow up around the game if you you know grow up you've been in big league clubhouses as like a 10 year old and and stuff like that i mean you just have more access um to this type of training and and these types of um, avenues to get better as as a young player is this just kind of a one-off with this class or do you think this could be a thing that we start seeing almost every year I think bloodlines guys might get more attention than they necessarily have in the past. But, uh, you know, these last few years, we've had quite a few bloodlines guys. Uh, Lineage hasn't been something that's been totally foreign. I I think the thing that is so unique about this class is it's so centered at the top. There's so much in the first round. You hear about, you know, bloodlines guys getting drafted second, third, fourth round a lot. It just so happens that all these guys are like top 10, top 15 talents this year. So I think, you know, we might start paying more attention to lineage. And I do think that there's a case to be made that lineage and bloodlines is an actual trait in a player. Like it's a, it's an actual characteristic and not just a happenstance. Um, So I think we'll, we'll start looking for these guys a little bit more, but I don't know if we're going to see so much talent at the very top, like we have this year. All right. Uh, We're going to start talking about some of these college hitters, but first a message from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, uh, back with Joe Doyle of Prospects Live talking. Uh, this is definitely sort of a, a primer episode for the 2022 MLB draft. Uh, I'll be having more uh, excellent draft uh, coverage guests on in, in future weeks, but we're really kind of uh, giving you a nice little lay of the land, mostly talking about top 20 prospects here. Uh, the guy, you know, in your mock draft, your mock draft version 3.0 that went up this week, uh, the first three players are prep hitters, uh, but at four, you have the Pirates taking Brooks Lee, a uh, shortstop from Cal Poly, as the first college player off the board. Uh, it seems like this is sort of a, a hit tool centric uh, college shortstop type of profile, uh, but what do the rest of the tools look like here with Brooks Lee? Yeah, definitely a hit tool guy. Um, I don't think the power is ever going to win him any Silver Slugger awards. Uh, probably... 20 to 25 home runs max it's, it's probably just average power uh he's an average maybe slightly above average runner um average defender i mean here's the thing like brooks lee isn't like he doesn't have a carrying tool besides the hit tool which in in baseball and in scouting is like the one it's the anchor so there are those that believe it's a 70 grade hit tool um i i personally kind of like Termar Johnson. I'm a little, he expands the zone a lot. He's, he's another one of those guys that just has an innate ability to put bat to ball. And that does a lot for you. Um, so I, I personally think it's more of a plus hit tool uh, with average power. Um, so I think what you would call Brooks Lee is the safest college hitter in this class. He plays up the middle, at least now. And, and that's worth something. So I don't know if he's the sexiest pick, but he's going to make himself a lot of money. So if it all works out, are we talking like in three years about Brooks Lee the same way we talk about like Bryson Stott? I don't know if he's as athletic as Bryson Stott, to be honest. I, I kind of think it's more like a Brandon Crawford without the defense, which is <laughs> remarkably less great of a player okay <laughs> but you know what i mean like uh, yeah. i think i think it's a guy that comes up and you know he hits 280 for you and he hits uh 16 to 22 18 to 22 home runs for you and he plays a solid defense okay. um it's just a it's a it's a roll five roll five not rule five it's a roll five big league regular and average regular maybe a solid average regular at the big league level um that plays you know, 10 or 12 years as a solid guy. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it doesn't sound that exciting for fantasy, but I mean, a lot of these big league teams just love collecting guys like this and mm -hmm. trying to coax a bit more power out or coax a bit more defense out. And if you have, you know, four or five Brooks Lees, uh, you're 
going to be in pretty good shape. Those guys can move all over the diamond yeah. and, and that type of thing. So, I mean, what's the number one reason a prospect fails? Well, I guess two, the hit tool or injury. So Brooks Lee, um, out of everyone in this class, has proven it on the Cape. He's proven it with the U.S. Uh, collegiate team, and he's proven it at uh, at Cal Poly. So when when you talk about safety and you talk about a guy that's going to be a big leaguer, like uh, you'd be hard pressed to find someone better than Brooks Lee. Nice. And the next college guy I want to ask you about, uh, Kevin Pareda. Uh, you know, this is a guy that I. I think I selected him uh, in the very first prospects live uh, mock draft <laughs> throwback. Uh, I, I was uh, really proud of that selection. Um, and then of course he decided to go to school um, really was, it was a great decision for him in, in hindsight. Um, you know, his, it's always been kind of about the bat with him, uh, which, led me to ask, you know, out of, you know, him versus the pre-draft version of say Henry Davis, like, what are we, where are we seeing those two kind of compared to each other offensively? And then do you think Pareda can stick it at catcher? Ooh, offensively. I mean, if you're asking me straight up, I think Henry Davis is a better prospect, but offensively, that's a bit of a toss up. Um, They both post Big exit velos, good contact rates. They cover cover the breaking ball and the fastball. They have no problem with velocity. Um, I think that I would probably lean Henry Davis just just by a hair, but I will openly admit that I think Kevin Parada has more usable game power, and uh, obviously that is pretty important. So I, I actually have a really hard time comping Kevin Parada to anyone. I, he's just He's a tough one for me. Then my my mind goes to Wilson Contreras as the type of bat that he could be, and and like not a great defensive catcher, but a guy that can stay behind the plate. Um, I think the thing that concerns me with Parada is he doesn't have the strongest arm, and mm-hmm. even the future of baseball, where this game is going, you got to have arm strength, and so that ultimately leads me to believe I think he's gonna either platoon at catcher or move off the position entirely. Right. Uh, right. Because it, like Henry Davis does have the arm. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these guys, like if you're evaluating a catching prospect who's three years away from the majors or even two years away from the majors, uh, the main thing to look for in terms of are they going to stick there is the arm. So, um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, where is there any other position that you could see him um, kind of turning himself into? like a, an average defender, a fringe average defender, or is this going to be kind of a, a DH left field type of thing? I mean, he was a really, he was a really good athlete coming out of high school and he packed on so much muscle this year I mean, he's a really big kid now. So, you know, I, I don't think he's a DH. I think at minimum, he's a first baseman. I think you could probably throw him in left field. I mean, he's a better athlete than Kyle Schwarber was coming out of Indiana. Um, so, yeah, I'd say, you know, if, if you really don't think that he can stick behind the plate, give him a shot in left field. I know there was talks about moving Henry Davis out to left field here and there. Um, so to answer your question, I think he's more than a DH. And uh, you had him going uh, fifth to the Nationals. Uh, do you sort of, do you, despite the defensive concerns, what do, what do you think his draft range is? 
I mean, the bat is so good. The 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 metrics are so good. I would be stunned. He he's kind of like Brooks Lee in the fact that he's a pretty safe college bat. I would be stunned if he makes it out of the top ten. And then uh, after Lee and and Parada, uh, you know, you have Jace Jung, uh, Gavin Cross, Jacob Berry, uh, Zach Nito, uh, a few others going in the the top twenty or so in terms of the college hitters. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, among those guys? Like a guy that it, not forget about fantasy, just you know, best prospect left of of the college the college uh, hitters. If we're going my favorite, it's Drew Gilbert at Tennessee. I, I think we've got him going like twenty three to Toronto or something, or twenty six or or something like that. Um, he's my favorite. But if if you were to give me the opportunity to just you know, pick a prospect that I would draft out of that group. I would probably go with Zach Neto. Um, I like Zach Neto's swing decisions. I like how he impacts the baseball. I like his ability to stay at shortstop where other college guys probably can't stay at the position. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Zach Neto, I think he's got a good shot of going in the top 10 picks, to be honest with you. And he would probably be my next best after those two. How does he compare to, to Brooksley? Hits the ball way harder, way, way, way harder. Um, I think they're similar defenders. I think Brooksley has a better arm. Um, so yeah, I would say the hit tool variance is is pretty wide. Like I think Zach Neto might only be an average hitter, but he understands the strike zone and he hits the ball really, really, really hard. So I think when you're talking about the meta, you know, present Major League Baseball. Uh, you want guys that can really impact the ball. And I think Zach Neto is is as good a bat as any. Do either of them have a shot at being double-digit stolen base guys? I would say... Um, I think Neto has a shot. I mean, I think they're both average runners. One thing that I really like about Neto is, is the intangibles are kind of off the chart. He's a really, really gritty, just dirty ball player. Um, he finds ways to impact the game. I mean, he's up to 97 on the mound. He's a really good athlete. So, yeah, I think he's got a shot, but I wouldn't say either one of them is a prohibitive favorite to steal 10 bases. Well, I like that description on on Neto. Um, and you you were saying that he's uh, in, in the mock draft, you have him going 14 in the Mets. You say he's surging. Uh, is this a, a case where it's been just a, a really kind of a breakthrough season for him? Like what's, what's um, what's kind of got him surging. Yeah. I mean, he was big on the Cape and, and Jeff will, will agree with this. He was one of the best players in the Cape Cod league in 2021. And a lot of people really started taking notice of him. And then he went to Campbell and um, he's been everything that the team needs him to be. He's played a great shortstop. He's been their closer at times, like I said, up to 97 with a breaking ball. And he takes his walks. He crushes the baseball. I just think when, when you add it all up, the, the batted ball data and the shortstop and the Cape Cod League and everything that he's been through, it's just really tough to poke holes in Zach Neto. Are there any of these other college hitters that uh, you want to kind of bring anything up about? Anyone that maybe is, is overrated uh, or maybe a guy that uh, people should – keep in mind as, as like a sleeper who could go late first round. So 
Let me answer the first part of your question, because I think this is a sticking point for me. There, there's uh, there's college outfielders in this class, and I tweeted this this week, that I think you want to at least pause. Um, Chase DeLauder, uh, Judd Fabian, uh, Jordan Beck, Dylan Beavers, Spencer Jones, like these guys, uh, they all really struggle to hit the breaking ball. Like their contact rates against the breaking ball are, are pretty uh, worrisome. So that's going to be a big development piece. And because of that, I think there's a margin for, you know, these guys potentially not working out as big league hitters, but the guy that I think needs to be moving up boards and will move up boards and will ultimately go in the top 20 is Eric Brown out of coastal Carolina. Um, you want to talk about a guy that could steal double digit bases and uh, you know, could hit 20 home runs. It's Eric Brown. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's a shortstop. I think he's ultimately going to be a second baseman or a left fielder. But um, that kid is super, super explosive, and I, it wouldn't stun me to see him go in the top fifteen picks. Awesome, that's a great name uh, for people to uh, keep an eye on uh, as we get closer to the draft. Uh, before we get to the pitchers, uh, I saw you had Jet Williams and Cole Young uh, going pretty high in in the mock draft. Uh, do you have a a favorite prep hitter outside of the the four that we uh, or I guess the five that we already covered? Yeah, Jet Williams is definitely one of my favorites, just because I think the kid can really really hit, and finding kids that can actually hit uh, is, is a big part of you know preps. For me, I mean, my favorite prep that doesn't get quite as much run as some others as max max martin out of morristown uh new jersey i think he's a really explosive guy i've I've seen other people question the explosivity but uh i think he's a you know he's got a above average throwing arm and potentially has uh plus raw power in the tank so he's the type of guy that if he goes to tampa bay he's going to end up being such a problem for everyone (laughs) yeah that that makes a lot of sense um so the guy who's sort of the talk of, uh, you know, prospect Twitter, draft Twitter, uh, a couple of days ago was Kumar Rocker. Uh, obviously, household name. It seemed like uh, there were a lot of you know people that worked for teams in attendance. Certainly, uh, Jeff was there. I think like Keith Law was there. Um, so a lot of people were there to see Kumar Rocker. Uh, how much did he help himself there? I mean. I, Obviously, the the quality of competition he's facing is kind of um, kind of throw it out. But I mean, you could just look at the stuff and evaluate him uh, by that. So, what, how impressed were you by what you saw from from Rocker? Um, I so I I was I was very impressed. Um, he's changed his delivery. He, the, he releases the ball differently. It doesn't look so effortful anymore, which obviously is a positive. But here's the thing, and this is what I've been saying about Rocker the whole time. Um, one outing doesn't really change too much for me. I still think he's a second round pick until he does it again. And he's starting on Friday uh, again for Tri-City. So I don't know when this comes out, but he's scheduled to start and, and pitch, you know, 60 more pitches six days after his first outing. If he can do that three times in a row, I mean, if the guy can go out and throw 60 pitches three times in three weeks, I think it's going to calm a lot of people's nerves about the shoulder. And obviously he's got to hold the velo. Like he can't come out 90 to 91 this week, but he looked so 
utterly dominant with the stuff this week that if he can do that three times in a row and he's willing to give his medical charts to to teams I don't know how you keep this guy out of the top 15 picks because you're talking about a college righty up to 99 with an 88 mile an hour slider that has been graded double plus and the ability to flip over a changeup uh, to left-handed hitters that profile quite literally doesn't exist in this draft I mean Blade Tidwell looks like he could be it, but he's had shoulder issues. So, yeah, I think Kumar Rocker could once again be a top 15 pick. It's all contingent on, uh, you know, how his representation and how his team handles his medical situation. Because, frankly, James, nobody knows what his ailment is still, which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, the the really tough thing with pitcher medicals is, uh, and I think, like, Dr. James Andrews has like said this, like you could put any, you could do a MRI on any pitcher's arm and find something to operate on, you know? So it's just kind of how much, I guess, how much uh, are they willing to risk it? I mean, it, I think it's going to be in the eye of what whoever's looking at it in terms of how bad it is, how, whether it's a big deal or it's not a big deal. Cause I think with pitcher medicals, it's just so tough. Like you could red flag, a lot of yeah. things on a lot of pitchers who are pitching great right yeah. now in the majors, you know? Yeah. And I would say this, like, I, I don't think the Mets, there's this narrative going around that the Mets, um, you know, f- picked Kamar Rocker with the idea of not signing him to get two picks in a stronger draft this year. I don't think they're that dumb. <laughs> I, I really don't. And if Kamar Rocker goes in the top 15 again, it's just not going to be a good look for the Mets. So, Beyond Kumar, uh, who do you like, or even you can even include Kumar, um, but who do you think will be, will go down as the best starting pitcher from this draft class? And it could even be a guy who's currently injured. That's a good question. Um, So I have a bit of a hot take in that regard. I think it's going to be Justin Campbell out of Oklahoma state. I think there are some things that he needs to work on, but, it's a plus curveball. I think it has the chance to be a plus fastball. He's got a solid average changeup that he can really throw lefties off with. And he's got a little cutter slider that I think works well. Um, the reason I like him, I think there's a ton more in the tank, dude. Like this is a long body with long limbs and super over the top. He moves really well. He's very loose. I think Justin Campbell's going to throw like 98. And I think he's going to sit like 94 to 95 with a big looping curveball that he can bury in the dirt. It's that tunnel. It's that 12-6, four-seam riding uh, tunnel that works so well in today's game. And I, I just think, I just get the gut feel that he's going to be the guy that comes out of this and and is a, you know, a, a low number two starter at the big league level. Well, Joe, this has been so good. Uh, you're so good at breaking this stuff down. I really appreciate you joining me. Um, Thanks for having you? me. It's fun, man. Uh, how about you let uh, the listeners know what you guys got going on at Prospects Live and what they can kind of keep an eye out for in the weeks leading up to the draft? Yeah, man. So uh, I think next week we're going to be pushing out our top 500 update. So we've got 500 prospects ranked right now. We've got a little bit more information on those guys, some more evaluations, and uh, we'll push out a top 500 update. And then as we did last year, uh, the top, the final top 600 uh, will come out probably the first or second week of July and the final two mock drafts will come out in July as well. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Awesome. Well, 
Thanks a ton, Joe. Uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B. Awesome, man. Well, uh, really appreciate it and uh, hope to talk soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.